I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My grandfather told me the story about the eerie incident that made him quit being a ranger. My grandfather used to work to be a park ranger in Uganda, and had many stories to tell us about misbehaving teenagers who thought it was funny to stay illegally in the park overnight, white supremacist tourists who think they could hunt anytime, and even indigenous people who believed the land belonged to them. But this time, he told me the story why he resigned from being a ranger, as he thought I was old enough to hear this creepy story. And after hearing it, I'm thankful for him quitting or else I probably wouldn't be here today. One day, he and his co-worker, let's call him Sam, went out to patrol at night. As they were walking, they saw a very high, unusual amount of snake activity everywhere. Ignoring it, they continued on their job. And they had heard multiple trumpets of elephants and saw many zebras running in no particular direction. 
just away from the place that he and his co-worker were going deeper into the depths of the forest. They assumed that it was somebody, possibly teenagers, causing trouble. This made them cautious and alert for danger. They continued going deeper in with their rifles loaded and lamps in front of them. Then they saw a blue shimmery light glowing in the shape of a circle in the forest. It looked to be like a portal. My grandfather had advised his co-worker to examine it. As Sam leaned in to touch it, he was immediately sucked in like a vacuum. Now, I'm not relating Derek to trash, but who touches a portal? After waiting a few moments for Derek to come out, but as expected, he didn't. My grandfather ran away from the portal and towards the cabin of rangers. There, he shared this unnatural incident with the rest of the rangers who slept there. They collectively decided to go check it out the next morning. The next morning, they went to the same place. When my grandfather saw the portal, there was no portal and no sign of Derek either. His co-workers then did not believe him and said that Derek must have slipped drugs and hallucinated the whole thing. My grandfather resigned after that. He did not want to see more supernatural incidents happening and also did not want to die. And there was a huge cover-up that happened with Derek and him disappearing. Is he still alive in some alternate universe? Did he turn into something like a ghost? Is he dead? Nobody knows. I am a logger in northern British Columbia, Canada. I am an avid hunter and have spent many a nights hunting alone. That being said, quite a few years ago, I was working on a broken down skitter in the dark after everyone on the logging block was gone changing a blown hydraulic hose under the cab when I felt like I was being watched. The feeling continued to get worse and worse, so I was on edge and continued to work on replacing the blown hose. Every trip for tools to the service truck and back, I would scan for eyes in the nearby tree line about 25 meters away with my flashlight. Nothing. Continue to work on the pain in the ass as hose that you literally have to dive your head and upper body under the cab to reach and so your legs are stuck up in the air and feeling vulnerable. The feeling of being watched gets more intense. All the hairs on my neck are standing, and I hear a two-tone whistle from far away. Almost as if it was wind, it was so far away, but it was flat calm that day. Also, there was about six foot of fresh snow on the ground. I pushed myself out from under the skidder and looked around quietly with a flashlight for eyes in the tree line and down the road. Nothing. I had one side of the hose fitting to remove still, and it was the easier side and higher up, so I wasn't ass over tea kettle removing it. I put my head back under the cab and quickly began to spin the fitting loose. The feeling of being watched was so bad every hair on my body was standing, and then I hear the same two-tone whistle very loudly in the tree line directly behind me. I had the hose off at the exact same time, so I whipped myself out from under the cab and turned ready to thrown down with the one wrench in my hand. Yelling, all right, where the F are ya? Nothing, no one there, no tracks, no eyes, no wind, nothing. The flashlight I had was more of a small floodlight for working on repair stuff, so it didn't light up inside the trees. The next day it had snowed another six or so. But I went and hiked the tree line with a 12-gauge and seven three-slugs ready to go. No tracks that I could see, no perches on the trees where snow had been pushed off, if it was a bird. 
nothing. A couple of years ago, I used to work at a little coffee shop. I loved that place, it was super chill. The kind of place all the real hipsters went to get coffee. Hipsters and old people. I usually worked afternoons and evenings, which weren't as busy as the morning, so oftentimes the manager would leave me to it, and I would be running the whole place by myself. One afternoon this lady came in, and to this day I have never seen a more bizarre looking person. I've moved to Austin, Texas since. You know the place famous for being weird. So trust me, this lady was really bizarre. Her hair was short and up in two knots, Miley Cyrus style. She was wearing a bright pink leather biker jacket, a long skirt, and sunglasses that she never took off. You probably won't believe this next part, but I swear it's true. It sounds like I'm just trying to make it sound weirder, but this is what happened. She was pushing one of those toy strollers for little girls' baby dolls, and in it was her purse. Her purse was open because it was overfilled with bananas. She was pushing around a purse full of bananas in a toy stroller. So she walks up to the counter. Hey, what can I get for you? MMFPHHM, I'm sorry, what did you say? HHHHI coffee, uh, alright, a regular coffee, do you want creamer? She didn't even respond, so I assumed she didn't want any. She paid for her coffee, and then went into this hallway in the back that led into a somewhat secluded area from the rest of the seating. At this point, I'm thinking she must be really high on something, which would have explained the sunglasses. Anyway, business slows down eventually, and I take the opportunity to sweep up the floor a bit. When I come out from behind the counter, she's sitting in the back of that hallway next to the cleaning supplies closet, which she has opened. She has also set up a bunch of those cards you get from like Target or something around her table so that no one can see what she's doing. I walk over to get the broom out of the closet, and as I walk past her I sneak a peek at what she was trying to hide on that table, because who wouldn't? She was burning incense sticks and mumbling to herself. I'm kind of scared to ask her to stop at this point, so I just leave her alone and get the broom and close the closet door. When I come back from sweeping the floor, she has opened the closet door again. I put the broom inside and close it again. So later it's closing time and she's still here. She's been sitting there burning incense sticks, mumbling and opening that closet door for almost four hours. I yell out to let everyone know that we're closing and they all leave. I go out to pick up people's dishes and look back into the hallway. She's still sitting there. Hey, we're closing. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. Okay. She doesn't move at all. I'm sure as hell not gonna walk over there and try to force her to leave because she's obviously totally insane, so I just decide that maybe she'll get up in a minute. I finish up most of my closing jobs, which takes about 15 minutes, and she is still there. Hey, you have to leave. Kay. At this point she is creeping me the F out. It's just me and her alone in this restaurant at night. She's obviously a lunatic, and she won't leave. I walked back into the kitchen and just stood there clutching the biggest knife I could find. But then through the door that goes out to the counter I saw her on her way to leave. She was walking very, very slowly. Suddenly she stopped and stood still. Just standing there doing nothing. She stood like that for five whole minutes. 
Then she proceeded walking as slowly as possible toward the door. It took her another five minutes to reach it. Once she did reach it, she noticed some newspapers and advertisements we have on a little counter next to it. She stared at them for a while, and then she took all of them, one at a time, and put them carefully in her stroller. This took her about another five minutes. While she was doing this, someone came from outside and opened the door to come in. She froze immediately, not moving a muscle, and stood there blocking the doorway. Eventually, the person carefully moved around her, and I told them we were closed, so they turned around and left. The lady did not move again until the person was gone. She then finally left and continued walking at the same incredibly slow pace on the sidewalk. She left a bunch of those advertisements and newspapers on the floor that I had to pick up. Weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Several years ago, I suffered from a manic episode which led to squatting in a vacant home. Long story short, I was eventually picked up by the police and held for about a month until I was allowed to post bail. After I was processed and put into a cell, I became claustrophobic and began to panic. I began pounding on the plexiglass door and shouting into the intercom in my cell. Finally, they asked if I thought I was a harm to myself or others. Now, some people who have dealt with the mental health industry may know that this is the fundamental justification for what's called a 5150, a mandatory 72-hour hold at a mental hospital. I thought to myself that this could be my way of getting entrance to a mental hospital, so I told the person at the other end of the intercom that yes, I was a danger to myself or others. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Instead, they dragged me out of my cell, twisting my arm and leg, and put me in solitary confinement. They had me stripped of all clothing, not even underwear, and left me with two coarse green woven nylon blankets, one with Velcro to attach to my body affectionately known as a turtle suit. The walls and floors were dirty and rubberized. In the middle of the floor was a brass ringed hole to use as a toilet. A camera stared at me from a corner in the ceiling. There was no bed or chair. The lights were on at all hours. Cold air poured in from a loud vent in the ceiling at all times, making it impossible to ever feel comfortably warm. In order to retain heat and feel comfortable against the floor, I'd use one of the blankets as a cushion to lie on, while the other I'd use to cover my body in a fetal position and block out the light. There was no intercom or plexiglass door now. Just a small window to barely see someone walk past my cell through a hallway that gave no illusion to the time of day or night. The only way to generally tell time was by when I'd be fed they'd drop the food directly in my hands through a small slot in the door three times a day. I'd have to finish what was in my hand before they'd give me more or let me drink from a pixie cup of water or carton of milk. They didn't tell me how long I would be there for. They wouldn't answer questions. The isolation and boredom would just cause me to find delusional justifications for why I was there. It must be some sort of test, right? Sometimes I'd bang on the door yelling for help, to be let out, for water, or I'd curse at the deaf guards that would never answer me. Eventually, I found a sort of rhythm of sleeping or lying awake beneath my blanket between meals. Sometime on the third day, I had a moment where I finally let go. All of my fear and worry. Anticipation and expectation to leave just left my mind and body. 
A warmth filled me. Nothing mattered in that moment and I felt at peace. Then it was gone. It lasted less than a second. Afterwards, all I could do was think of that moment, try to find that place somewhere inside me again, while I lay on the ground in my little rubber refrigerator. It was the feeling of a miracle. There's no better way to describe it to feel happiness in such a place. I was confined for four days before they took me out for my first court appearance. As they escorted me through the hall and the exterior doors to the awaiting van, I got to see the blue sky and feel the warm summer air on my face. I immediately cried and thanked the guards. I can still feel the icy grip of fear clawing at my heart every time I think back to that ill-fated hunting trip in the cursed woods of Kentucky. It was a day that would forever haunt my dreams, a day when my faith in the known world was shattered and the boundaries of reality were pushed to their limits. The woods in Kentucky had always held a sinister reputation among hunters and locals. They spoke of strange happenings, eerie sounds, and an overwhelming sense of dread that seemed to permeate the very air. But for a group of seasoned hunters like us, stories of curses and ghost stories were nothing but campfire entertainment until that day. We were a group of five, including me, Jake, the unofficial leader of our little expedition, and my lifelong friends, Mike, Tom, Sarah, and Mark. We had ventured deep into the heart of the supposedly cursed reserve, seeking the thrill of the hunt and hoping to prove that the legends were nothing more than superstitions. As the sun dipped below the thick canopy of trees, casting eerie shadows upon us, we decided to split into two groups, with each group pursuing different game deer and ducks. It was in that fateful decision that our nightmare began. My group consisted of Mike, Tom, and me. We ventured deeper into the woods, our rifles at the ready, scanning the surroundings for any sign of prey. The air was thick with tension, and an eerie silence hung around us. Then, as we entered a small clearing, something caught our attention. It was a presence, a feeling of being watched that sent shivers down my spine. I exchanged nervous glances with Mike and Tom, and we silently decided to investigate. Our eyes widened in horror as we saw it an unknown predator, a monstrous creature that defied all logic and explanation. It had to be at least nine feet tall, with shoulders as wide as four feet. Its stringy hair did little to conceal the bulging muscles beneath, which flexed with each movement. Its thighs were as round as tree trunks, and it had hardly a neck to speak of, with a head that tapered into a cone-like shape. Its long arms swung menacingly by its side. I would describe it as a half-gorilla and half-Neanderthal man-type animal, a grotesque amalgamation of the prehistoric and the otherworldly. We were paralyzed by fear, unable to comprehend the monstrous being before us. Our rifles were clenched tightly in trembling hands, ready to fire, but the creature seemed to sense our presence. Its head turned slowly in our direction, and its eyes, dark and soulless, met ours. Time stood still as a shiver of dread washed over us. In that heart-pounding moment, the creature began to run, its massive form moving gracefully on two legs. Panic overtook us and we opened fire, but our shots missed their mark as we fired blindly in sheer terror. The creature showed no signs of injury, and the deafening roar of the gunshots only seemed to fuel its relentless pursuit. 
In our desperation, we abandoned our rifles, the very tools of our trade, and ran for our lives. The woods, once familiar and inviting, had transformed into a labyrinth of shadows and horrors. We pushed through thick underbrush, our hearts pounding in our chests, our breaths ragged. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, we stumbled upon another group of hunters. Breathless and wild-eyed, we recounted our harrowing encounter with the unknown predator, but their skeptical expressions greeted our story. They dismissed our story as an overactive imagination or the stress of the hunt getting the better of us. But we knew what we had seen, what we had felt deep in our bones, a creature that defied all rational explanation, a nightmare lurking in the depths of those cursed woods. I work for a city park and recreation department here in Colorado. I also serve as a district ranger for the National Park Service. I took the ranger patrolling training and loved the outdoors, but I'm not a trained scientist or a tracker. I was driving home from work one evening in 2017, and it was dusk. I was heading east on US 24 towards Berthout Falls. There is a turnoff located before you get right to the falls that goes to a park where you can camp called Rainbow Park. I was driving down the turnoff, and when I reached the bottom of the road, I saw this huge thing looking at me. I wasn't sure what it was at first, but I really thought it was a bear. But then I saw wings and saw that this might be some sort of mountain lion creature with wings, at least that's what it looked like. So I'm thinking it's a flying mountain lion, totally confused because my brain cannot process this. It does not make any sense. Then it jumps off the ground and takes off into the air. Not only was this amazing to see, but it was also mind-numbing. It was huge and had a very large body and a wingspan far larger than my truck. The body was more like a mix between a human and a lion, and the head looked more like a large cat. I thought maybe it was injured or I'm not sure what it was doing. I could see, though, that its wings were very strange, also very alien-looking to any kind of bird we have here on Earth. I mean, these are just my guesses. I took off into the woods, drove up the road to the park, got out of my truck, still shocked at my sighting, and everything around me was dead silent. I noticed right away it was colder than usual, and things did not feel right. I had a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. I just tried to shake it off as best I could, and things seemed to stop for the time being. Later on, I went back to the spot where I had my sighting, and there were huge impressions on the ground where it landed going through the trees into the woods. I was so confused, but also scared and in awe. I've kept this a secret until now. I would love to tell everybody more about what I saw and where. I wish I could have taken photos, but it all happened so fast. As scared as I was, it honestly kind of reminded me of seeing something from Greek mythology come to life or something along those lines. I don't know what creature looks like that with wings. But man, it was something else entirely. Thank you for taking the time to read this. My name is Tom. Of course, that's not my real name, but the name for the sake of story. I was leader of the Navy SEAL team. So we were deployed to a war-torn region of Iraq with a classified mission to eliminate a high-value target terrorist leader. Not Saddam. Little did we know that our encounter with the enemy would take a terrifying turn. 
After meticulous planning and precise execution, we successfully infiltrated the target's heavily guarded castle. Using advanced surveillance equipment, we kept a constant eye on the live feed, ensuring that our actions were being monitored by the highest authority. With the utmost precision, we eliminated the target, fulfilling our mission objective. As the cameras captured the moment, we knew our success would be witnessed by the eyes of our nation's leaders. As the mission came to a close, we shut off the camera feed and began securing the area. Curiosity overcame me, and a strange pull drew me towards a dark and hidden basement chamber within this desert castle. With each step, an eerie silence filled the air, adding to the weight of the unknown that awaited me. As I entered the chamber, a dim light revealed and strange sight that froze me in awe. Before me stood a creature, towering at least ten feet tall, its form shrouded in shadow. It possessed a humanoid shape with two long and skinny legs, arms that extended all the way to the ground, and a round body. Its neck, elongated and slender, held no features of a face. Around him were human corpses, about ten of poor people. The air grew thick with a sense of malevolence, and I could feel the creature's presence suffocating me. Without warning, it lunged at me with blinding speed and brute force. The impact sent me crashing to the ground, my senses reeling from the ferocity of the attack. In the chaos of the moment, the creature vanished as swiftly as it had appeared, leaving me shaken and bewildered. Desperately, I called for backup, summoning my fellow Sealstow the scene. But as they arrived, confusion etched on their faces, they claimed they hadn't witnessed any creature or encountered anything out of the ordinary. Doubt clouded their expressions, and their responses only deepened the mystery. We combed the area, searching every nook and cranny, but there was no trace of the creature that had assaulted me. It was as if it had vanished into thin air, leaving behind only lingering questions and a chilling sense of unease. Despite the lack of evidence, I knew in my bones that what I had witnessed was real a terrifying encounter with an entity beyond comprehension. I was a beat officer for a small town in northern New Jersey. The chief of police at the time was a guy well known to me and my brothers in the force as Mr. Paranoid himself. One night, I responded to a call from dispatch that there had been reports of screaming from the woods near Greenwood Lake. I arrived at the location and didn't see anything but a foul smell hung in the air. It smelled like blood, wet dog, and iron. I entered the woods on foot with my flashlight ready to catch any pranksters or anybody who was fooling around. Listening intently for any sign of life, as I made my way deeper into the woods, something suddenly darted out from a clump of trees to my right, tearing off into the woods. I chased after them, or it as best I could, but there's no way I could ever catch up to them. A few weeks later, a young boy had gone missing from his family's campsite around the same location. The search party had come up empty-handed, but I knew that area was where I had seen whatever it was that night, what I assumed was a large animal. The chief of police, during an investigation, took me aside and told me not to talk about what I saw around town. He stated that he didn't want to cause panic in the small town, so he never reported his encounter or description of what happened at Greenwood. Though we weren't able to find any missing persons matching the description, 
We're also unable to find the location of where this other officer believed that he himself saw a werewolf. I did see one, though, claiming to be an unnamed officer who had also been on the search party for the missing boy, but they have since been let go. I had an entertainment center advertised and a woman asked to come over to have a look at it. We set up a time and when the time came, she didn't show up. I texted her and a couple hours later she replied and asked if it was too late to come by. It was 10 p.m. But I Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I said okay. She said she would be there in 10 minutes, but wasn't there 20 minutes later, and I texted her again. 10 more minutes, she said, but she hadn't shown up by 11 p.m., so I texted again and said we would have to do it another day, and she replied that she was just pulling up. I go to my front door, and sure enough, she is pulling into the driveway, and there are about four or five other people in the car with her. They all get out and start walking towards the door, and I ask them what they are doing, and the woman says they all want to see the entertainment center. I tell her that only she can come in, and at that point, I wasn't sure I even wanted her to come in. She says she needs at least one other person's opinion. I say no, she gets indignant, and I ask her to leave, and she says that I am not being a very good Christian. I say I am fine with that and went in my house and locked all the doors, peeking out the window. One of the dudes who was with her is pissing at the end of my driveway, but then they get in the car and drive away. The whole thing was super bizarre. Roommate Sub leased his room without telling us. The three of us in the house were all around 22 years old. The guy that Sub let the room was 36, unemployed, socially awkward, and potted not that there is anything wrong with that. He would blare Metallica all day. He would just stay in the house, only leaving at odd hours. Really sketchy. Then one day my roommate noticed his guitar was missing. And then other guitar was missing. We confronted him. After about 20 minutes of bullshit excuses, he admitted he pawned them for the power bill and he wouldn't have rent for us. We called the police so we could report the stolen guitars since you need to have a report to get anything from a pawn shop back. It turns out he already had a warrant out for his arrest for the same shit a town over. Anyway, the cops confronted him in our house while he was frantically trying to get all his stuff packed. He was coming down the stairs with all his luggage when the cops asked him to step outside. Right before he went outside to talk to the cops, he said, Don't take any of my shit, in what I think was a joking manner. Either way, he was arrested, and we put hit shit on the curb. Good times. This isn't a horror story at all. But the guy I sold a TV to a couple of years ago pretty much assumed that I was going to murder him and his boyfriend. 
I got the impression that he thought that I was going to scam him, so I offered drop the TV off at his house, and he could just PayPal me the money. He didn't want me knowing where he lived, so I offered to have him pick it up after my daughter's soccer game. Wouldn't do that either, because he said I'd have too many of my people. So I then switched it to the parking lot of my town's grocery store at 3.30 p.m. No. He finally agreed to meet me in front of the town's police station with his boyfriend and two other guys only after he called an officer outside to witness the transaction. The cop told the guy he probably shouldn't be buying stuff on Craigslist anymore. The funny thing was that he brought so many people that the TV wouldn't fit in his car. I was new to a big city and decided I didn't need my car anymore. I listed my car for sale a six-year-old Honda Accord. A normal, well-dressed man comes over to see it after a few phone calls about it. He's in his early 40s and his name is James. He's buying it for his daughter in college. I always have my guard up when dealing with strangers, but so far James is personable and seems legitimate. He test drives it with me in it. He does a thorough inspection. He negotiates the price with me for a while. He asks me to hold the car for two days so he can get the money and come pick it up. I agree a two-day hold where I won't sell it to someone else. Two days later, James follows up and we meet again midday, normal neighborhood in an urban city. James and I test drive the car one more time. He gives me a Chase Bank cashier's check, which I said was fine. I tell him he needs to come to the bank with me to cash this check and to get the title notarized over to him. This is when he starts acting nervous. We're pulled over on the side of my street discussing this James in the driver's seat and me as the passenger. I figured if he was going to steal my car, he would have two days earlier. Now I'm fairly comfortable with him. He asks me to do one more car inspection with him, then we go to the bank. I agree, but I'm very set on doing the transaction at a bank. As we both get out to inspect the car again, he jumps back in and floors it as I try to get back in with him. He pulls away quicker than I can react, passenger door wide open. I tried to run after him and then realized I'm not as fast as a car. There are bystanders and I hysterically ask someone to call 911. One guy does I had my phone, but my adrenaline was through the roof and didn't even think of it. As I'm on a stranger's phone with dispatch, an undercover cop car with two officers pulls out of an alley five feet from me. I wave them down and hysterically explain my story. They tell me to hop in the back of their car, which I do. I implore them to hurry, and we can catch this guy he just drove off. I explain the car and plate and everything. They assure me that they will not go on a high-speed chase with me in the car, but will radio it in to all surrounding officers, which they do. The guy gets away and the officers drop me off at the police station to file a report. I file an insurance claim too and am so mad at myself for letting this happen. I suppose it's better than if I was in the car with this guy, but I'm still mad. Of course, James Burner's cell phone doesn't work as soon as he had left. I go through insurance and their protocols to ensure I'm not committing fraud for about three months. The week I'm supposed to get paid, I get a call from police. They found my car. Three states over. James was working with a partner in crime, don't remember his name. Let's call him Dickface. 
James stole the car and gave it to Dickface to sell so it wasn't traceable back to James and Dickface would have plausible deniability if he was ever questioned. Well, Dickface sold my car to an average Joe who actually did have a daughter in college who needed a car. The daughter tried to register her new car at the DMV and it came up as stolen. So the cops arranged for me, the average Joe, and Dickface whose contact info average Joe had as he paid him with a check and there was a paper trail to meet with them at the station for a little chat. Dickface denies any involvement with James, but agrees to give us the money back that average Joe paid him if he can just leave without any problems. We all agree to this. Average Joe and I say his daughter can keep the car and I'll take the money from Dickface. So eventually I got paid for my car. But this experience sucked balls and was very stressful. Since then I have bought and sold cars on Craigslist again. So no lesson was learned, except now I take a photo of the driver's license of all people I interact with at the start. I was once a Navy SEAL, part of an elite team that faced danger head-on in some of the world's most treacherous places. Throughout my career, I encountered my fair share of perilous situations. So, our mission had taken us to the heart of war-torn Iraq, deep into enemy territory. We were tasked with infiltrating an underground bunker, a mission shrouded in secrecy and danger. The atmosphere was tense as we descended into the depths of the earth. Our training and camaraderie are only sources of comfort. As we navigated the labyrinthine corridors of the bunker, we had an unsettling feeling that we were not alone. It was as though an unseen presence lingered in the shadows, watching our every move. Our senses were heightened, and our instincts screamed danger. Then it happened. As we rounded a dimly lit corner, we came face to face with the inexplicable. Before us stood a humanoid figure, its form wavering as if it were composed of shifting shadows. It was roughly our height, with a slender, almost ethereal build. But what truly set it apart was its ability to become invisible at will. The creature's skin, if it could be called that, was a dark, otherworldly hue that seemed to absorb the very light around it. It had no discernible facial features, no eyes, nose, or mouth, just a featureless visage that filled us with dread. As the creature locked its invisible gaze upon us, panic rippled through our team. In the chaos that followed, we opened fire, bullets piercing the air where we believed our foe to be. But the creature was elusive, darting in and out of sight, leaving us bewildered and disoriented. The battle that ensued was like nothing I had ever experienced. We fired blindly into the darkness, struggling to track the invisible enemy that moved with uncanny agility. It was as though we were fighting a ghost, a malevolent force that defied explanation. Minutes felt like hours as we engaged in this eerie standoff. Then, as quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished. Our bullets struck nothing but air, and the oppressive sense of malevolence began to dissipate. We searched every inch of that bunker, our hearts heavy with the weight of what we had encountered, but there was no trace of the mysterious entity. It had simply vanished into thin air, leaving behind only a sense of unease that lingered in the corners of our minds. As we emerged from the underground darkness and reunited with our captain, we knew we had to share our harrowing tale. We recounted the events to him, each word weighed down by the gravity of our experience. 
but the captain's response was unexpected and chilling. He instructed us to remain silent, to tell no one about what we had witnessed. His voice carried a weight of authority and fear that left us with no choice but to comply. On May 9th of this year, I went on a walk in the patch of woods near my house in northern Wisconsin with my dog and older sister. My father recently passed away and to attempt to reconnect with my family, I took matters into my own hands and invited them all over for a week. Only my sister showed and, and I wasn't planning on anyone else showing. My sister has always been the stereotypical blue-haired, short astrology girl and believes in everything you can think about. When we were 12 and 14, she took me to her friend's house to hunt a skinwalker that just turned out to be a stray dog. And since then we haven't done anything in the woods due to her sudden urge to stay inside and smoke pot for months. But that's beside the point. We were walking along a path around dusk and it started to get very cold. We decided that we should set up camp as we are far too away from home to not get back before 6 a.m. and don't feel like hanging out in darkness. After setting up a small fire and tent, she called it a night while I tended to the fire. Roughly two hours after she fell asleep, I went to relieve myself behind a large dead tree. After coming back to camp, I noticed that there was a foul, almost rotten smell around the camp. I reached for my bag to get some incense and realized my bag was missing. I panicked for a second until I saw it near the edge of the light made by the fire. Thinking nothing of it, I stood up, and as I walked toward my bag, I froze. My bag was being slowly dragged farther out of the light by a very pale, human-like hand. This hand was in no way human as I came to my senses and noticed the large claws and shiny glass-like skin that seemed to be covered in a clear liquid. Who's there? Give me back my bag, I said while reaching for my pistol on my belt. Just as I fully unsheathed my pistol, the hand suddenly recoiled. However, now I could see a face. A large, terrifying face with milky white skin and eyes, with the bluest veins under the eyes. I saw that the thing's tongue was long, and was the only thing moving other than the trees in the wind. Its antlers were black, like they were made of mold. I lost it. I shot the damn thing, and with the muzzle flash, I saw a massive, deer-like humanoid that must have been seven, eight feet tall. I fell to the ground covering my ears as the creature let out a loud scream sounding like a moose that had been shoved into a meat grinder alive. I came to my senses and saw the thing charge me. I froze as it just to the right of the tent and tipped it over. My sister was already awake at this point as the scream rose her. After what had to have been two hours of making the fire go from a small forge into a massive bonfire to illuminate the surrounding woods. Eventually, I fell asleep with my Glock 19 in my hands, which we itching to shoot anything that moved. I awoke to my sister shaking me at what must have been 10 a.m. as the sun was already well in the sky. After getting our belongings, we began walking back to the house, checking our surroundings as we went. We didn't want that thing to follow us back to the house and torment us there. When we were able to see the light coming from my yard lights, which I forgot to turn off, I froze. On the top of my shed, there was a gutted what seemed to be a deer without its hind legs. We dropped our stuff and ran to the house where we called the police. I got fined for wasting their time. I tried to forget this and move on with my life. But on the 19th of this month, 
I saw that thing in my yard, digging a hole while a dead deer was on its broad, pale, skinny shoulders. It was staring at me. It saw me. It saw me. I blinked and it was gone. I know what I saw. I need help. I have three guns in my home, not including my pistol, which I always have on me. Should I try to kill the thing? Please help me. I was 18 years old and went on a fishing trip with my four friends, Jack, Zoe, Jocko, and Lex. We chose a fishing spot under a bridge, about one miles away from any houses. The day started out fun, with everyone excited to go fishing and relax. We walked to the spot, passing squash fields along the main road, and grabbed a few as we went along with some corn. We arrived at the fishing spot and spent a few hours fishing, enjoying the peacefulness of the surroundings. As it approached 9.30 p.m., things took a turn. Before I continue, I want to mention that one of my friends is a descendant of the Navajo tribe and believes in druidic beliefs, while I personally identify as an atheist. Suddenly, we started hearing dogs barking in the distance, as if a wild pack of dogs was nearby. However, the chances of that seemed unlikely, so we considered the possibility of coyotes. However, we soon realized that coyotes don't bark like that. They yip instead. The paranoia started to settle in, and we contemplated the idea of walking the eight miles back and drowning our worries in a bottle of rum at my friend's house. As we made our way back, a quarter of the way there, my Navajo friend abruptly stopped in the middle of the road. His expression changed from concern to sheer fear. I approached him, curious about what had caught his attention, then he grabbed my wrist, pointing my hand out towards the fields. There I saw a pair of eyes staring back at me, their size resembling footballs. My friend and I silently agreed to keep this sighting between us. We didn't want to freak everyone else out and risk getting separated, so we picked up the pace, forcing the others to follow along. Halfway back to my friend's house, we passed by a white farmhouse with a cornfield across from it. Suddenly, it felt like a plane buzzed by, and a 40-yard trail of destruction was left in the cornfield. Something had crashed through it, and to add to the chaos, we still heard the dogs following us. As we finally arrived at my friend's house, we pulled out a 12-gauge shotgun and a bottle of rum. We sat on the porch on high alert. In the distance, we could hear the same dogs that had been following us earlier, whining as if they were upset with us. As the night progressed, I found myself having night terrors, a combination of fear and alcohol-induced dreams. It was certainly an unforgettable experience at my buddy's house, to say the least. I was in the Navy and we spent a lot of time out at sea. I've seen mysterious clouds go into machines. The next few hours that machine would break down. No reason. Not all the technicians and actual designers could explain what happened or why. I've seen a headless shipmate floating about. Machines would break, turn off for no reason. I would call out shipmate, and the machine turns on immediately after. Chicken bones. A particular machine was a chronic offender. Then out of spite slash desperation, the technicians placed chicken bones at the bottom of the cabinet. Machine behaved. Come next audit inspection, they found the chicken bones and ordered them removed. 
Within four hours, while the audit team was still around, the machine failed without explanation or cause. It had to be replaced. There are stories of topsiders who saw, heard things that scared them so much they refused to go into parts of the ship, or even stand watch in certain areas again. I want to post this one dream I had like two years ago that I just remembered. The dream kind of went like this. I went back up north to visit cousins, they live up in the mountains. I remember it being night outside while I was in the house, but I spotted a deer outside. For whatever reason I remember following it into the woods, and from there it led me to a clearing. And there was a windigo, and we just stared at each other for a good minute. I remember it saying something to me, but I forgot what it said. But from there it offered me some form of meat, probably human, which for some reason I ate. I remember the dream then cutting back to me leaving my cousin's house. But I also remember freaking out and hearing a voice in my head. But that's when I woke up. I also don't know if this is related, but two weeks before I took some mushrooms and remember having a trip where I was running through a forest. But when I came back to reality, I found myself bidding my hand for some reason. Does these events mean something? My brother was bear hunting near the Mexican border and had been out for a few days. Around dusk on day three, he started to head out of the canyon. On the trail, a very large tree branch that wasn't previously there was now blocking his path. This is where being aware of your surroundings is important. As he bent down to take his pack off, he heard voices in the canyon below. He accidentally snapped a branch and all over the voices stopped. Then all he heard was multiple people running in different directions, forming a circle around him. He hunkered down and sent a text out to our family, unsure if anyone got it. Only my father and I knew where he was, and I was 400 miles away. My mom couldn't find my dad, my sister-in-law was frantic, and nobody thought to ask me. So my, while my brother is worried if anyone got his text, my family is worried they won't find my dad in time. Eventually, they found him at the gym and notified the sheriff's department before heading out to show them where my brother was presumed to be. As night wore on, my brother slipped off his boots and pulled out his 40 caliber. At that point, he realized he was sitting in the bare piss scent he had tracked in. So not only did he have humans to worry about, the bear he had been tracking may very well now be tracking him. He knew his truck was about a one-fourth mile away, and he's a fast guy, so he was preparing to make a mad dash for it. Then a border patrol helicopter swooped in the canyon below, floodlights lighting the canyon up like Christmas Eve. My brother slipped his boots on, holstered his pistol, and started to hike out. Wasn't too long before he encountered a border patrol agent, who then informed him that his wife was very angry and was waiting for him at the trailhead. It was about midnight. We think they set up the ambush so they could steal his truck that was parked at the base of the game trail he was on. By the time the sheriffs and border patrol found him, he had been hunkered down for four plus hours. If he had not been in Kamo, I'm not sure he would have been able to wait them out as they came within 20-30 feet of him at one point. After finding my brother, the border patrol caught 11 drug smugglers in the same canyon that night.
This takes place back around 2017 or 2018 when I was a bit younger. My stepfather owned two acres of land in the forest in Maryland, while we lived in the small part that separated it from the rest of West Virginia. One day after a snowfall, my sister and I were clearing a path to a barn he had in the back of the property. As we made our way back, we noticed something strange bare footprints, measuring about 16 to 18 inches in size. The footprints ended not too far into the forest. We didn't think much of it at the time and went back inside the house. It wasn't until later that month when my sister brought up the possibility that it could have been a Wendigo. We initially played it off as a joke, but looking back, it does make me wonder. Considering it was December, with limited visibility due to the snow, and we were just two 12-year-olds, the situation becomes more unsettling in retrospect. If I had been the only one to investigate those footprints, I shuddered to think what might have happened. What truly unsettles me is the realization that it may have been stalking us every night, waiting for the right moment to try and snatch one of us kids. Now, I can't say with 100% certainty that it was a Wendigo, but everything seems to add up. If anyone out there can help me confirm or shed some light on what we experienced, I would greatly appreciate it. A couple years back, I volunteered for a sea turtle conservation group on St. Catharines Island off the coast of Georgia. It's a small island, and at any time there can be fewer than a dozen people on it, and it's not developed beyond a few generators, refurbished slave cabins, a mess hall, and a few conservation buildings. When walking around at night, it's basically pitch black because of the forest canopy, so most people have a flashlight or headlamp with them. Anyways, I was walking back to my slave cabin from the mess hall alone, and my headlamp wasn't working. I couldn't see a damn thing, so I'm basically stumbling over stones and stumps. As I'm walking, there was a scream. Only way I can describe it is as a deep, guttural grunt-type scream. Made me stop dead in my tracks. After a few moments, I keep walking, still messing with my headlamp. The damn thing finally turns on, and I'm face to face with a deer. I'm in the middle of a bunch of deer just standing around, and this one is just staring at me right in the eyes. I was within a foot of it. Scared the living shit out of me. I walked around it and ran back to my cabin. 